a Highline podcast. Hey, everybody. Before the episode, I just want to let you know about something we're doing for one of our patrons, Reverend Courtney Clark. You might remember her name from the episode 75, The Problems We Have with Suffering, which came from her question. One of the reasons this is an issue she's always thinking about is because she suffers from nutcracker syndrome due to extreme vascular compression. If you're curious about her story so far, you can read about it in the GoFundMe we're sponsoring for her through June. Link is in the show notes. We're hoping to get her just an extra $1,000 as she potentially takes off the next six months to recover from surgeries and hopefully get a couple date nights in too. We are giving all of our Patreon donations from May and June to her, which will include any new patrons who sign up during those months. We would be thrilled if you could be a part of this with us, whether you sign up through Patreon, give directly to the GoFundMe, or just share about this rare illness. Again, link is in the show notes. Here's the episode. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers. But we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hey, church. Good morning. How's everybody doing out there? I hate it when people start church that way, but hello, you guys. That's how I start. I say, say good morning. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I say good morning, church. I don't know why it gets me, Emily. I'm nothing against you or doing it. I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> oh, shots Every fired. Sunday, that's how I. <laughs> yeah, really, man. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I think I, I don't love it. <laughs> I also say it with a really big dopey smile on my face, though. So just like Josh just you did. Know. It seems like it fits you. Emily, I dare you to start next church by saying, good morning, church. How are we? What are you all drinking? That's funny. That's funny. Speaking <gasps> I will of which, do it. what are you guys drinking? I have a New Belgium Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA. Um, and it is absolutely hitting the spot right now. I believe that's by Elysian, right? No, New Belgium. Oh, New Belgium. JK, JK. Yep. <laughs> good Colorado beer. What about you, Emily? I'm currently two-fisting it, uh, per usual. My first beverage is a standard Emily classic of a body armor, uh, but this one is a new flavor to me. Uh, it's the blueberry pomegranate. So it is quite fruity. Uh, it has a nice little little bit of fruitiness in there, which is nice. Uh, and then my second beverage is a good old classic British blend uh, tea. Because I had a London fog when we were recording earlier, but it was iced, and I feel like I needed a warm beverage. So that's what I did. Interesting. You don't come across an iced London fog very often. You didn't mention that. I should have mentioned it, and I didn't. Um, But it tastes like like Fruit Loops, oddly enough. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's such a weird tea flavor. It is a very weird tea flavor. They're all gray. Totally. Man, that was so fitting for last episode. You didn't even mention that. 
I, oh my, talk about a missed opportunity. (laughs) Bummer. Bummer. I am also double fisting this episode. I made myself an AeroPress. This coffee is from Saudi Arabia, which is kind of cool. It's from this bigger coffee chain over there called 12 Cups. And I don't actually know the origin of the coffee. I was trying to look it up. It's this blend called Galera, but I can't tell if that's like their name or like a region name. I like did some Googling and like their websites in Saudi Arabian. And mm. so I actually don't know where this coffee's from. Um, so if anyone knows if Galera is a region that I just can't find, let me know. It's a mystery. I think it's possible. It's I've seen Twitter ads for that. I've been blocking enough promoted accounts that I'm starting to get all sorts of ads in Japanese and Arabian. Um, yeah, isn't it fun? Yeah. <laughs> it's so of, much easier to tune them out. A lot of pharmaceuticals, too. I get a lot yes. of pharmaceutical ads now. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> and I'll, like, keep them for a hot second because I'm like, oh, like, I know I'm just going to get this one over and over and over, and it's not too overwhelming. And then it's, like, the only one I see, and I'm like, no more. Yeah. The algorithm mm. does not know what to do with me anymore now that I've blocked yeah. all, like, 100 accounts that Adobe uses to promote stuff. Yes. Oh. Oh my God. Story of my life. Ton of variables for every one of those brands. Speaking of pharmaceuticals, not really. I'm drinking a second drink. Oh my God. Um, and <laughs> I have never made this before and I've not tasted it yet. So let's see. Oh. Let's see how it goes. Oh. Oh, that's good. Big slurp. Oh, I, that's very drinkable. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> that's so very I, drinkable. That's a good compliment to a drink. It's potable. Um, no, I said drinkable. Okay, well. But potable's funny. <laughs> um, so it's, uh, it's whiskey. I don't remember the, the name of the brand, Stephen. Forgive me. But it's like High West Whiskey or something like that. I think it's a pretty generic one from what I know. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's this High West Whiskey and then Tangerine LaCroix, uh, some dashes of lemon juice. And then I just happened to have strawberries in my fridge. So I chunked up like three strawberries and like squished them down and then like stirred it into the drink and so I have a bunch of strawberry floaties oh and it's pretty good it's like kind of fresh that's fun and i usually don't like whiskey okay well that's hurtful but there you have it i will forgive you (laughs) what's really nice is i don't have any ice so all the strawberry is just floating to the top and so i get like bits of strawberry with every bite yeah just riding the bits of strawberry with every bite of his drink he says yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Well, so I've been I've been thinking about this for a while and I wasn't quite sure how to like bring it up as a topic because I don't really have anywhere to go with it, I don't think. Like I've been like thinking about it on my own and like chatting with a couple friends about like their thoughts and I'm not sure if I have like any thoughts about it beyond these questions. So I, I have some questions around deconstruction. Oh, classic us. But particularly Okay. Tying in the idea of decentralization. Mm. So maybe I'll just read my, I have like three questions written down. So maybe I'll just read through them really quick. Um, Number one, is deconstruction doomed because it's decentralized? For instance, there have been multiple social movements that have been inherently decentralized that some would argue were doomed to fail. Like, Occupy Wall Street or like waves of feminism or like blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying like everyone thinks that they were doomed to fail, but like one of the critiques is that like because they're decentralized, they're like not going to remain. Okay. Or alternatively, is Christianity already decentralized, like especially in Protestantism? And that's what's led us to this point. And 
Another sub question I'm thinking about, like the relationship of technology aiding people in finding their peers, despite it being a decentralized movement. Like, I'm kind of curious about like how, whether or not that has a role to play in this phenomenon being more or less decentralized. So that's like where my mind has been reeling. And I'm not really sure where to go with it. Like, uh, but I feel like there's something there. Huh. Of those questions, which one or ones do you find yourself coming back to the most? Mm. I think all of them myself. <laughs> okay. But so I it's think pretty that, equal. Okay. I think that the one that I see people talking about the most is that, no, it's just a phase, mom. Like, deconstruction is just mm-hmm. like, it's it's Ugh. a decentralized movement and it's not going to last and it's just trendy. Can I okay. tell you? It's a fad. When yeah. I was in high school, my buddy Mike and I were getting really into metal music and our dads used to make fun of us and they were like, metal music is just a phase. You'll get over it. You'll understand how dumb it is that these guys are screaming. And now 15 years later, I'm still into metal music. Thank you, dad. Classic. I, <laughs> the just a phase argument is so wild to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It feels very like, like void of a point like, Hmm. Okay, like what if it is a phase anyway? And like, it's extremely dismissive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it is very dismissive. It's like, okay, the 1980s were a phase too, but there's not, like, <laughs> what do <are> you, <laughs> what's your point? But you're still living in the 1980s. Like, yeah. ooh. <laughs> I'm here now, though. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 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 I think the one, if I had to pick one of the questions, Emily, I think that the one I keep coming back to is like, is that idea of decentralization actually inherent in Christianity? Mm-hmm. Like, is that what Jesus is talking about preaching against the religious leaders? Is that what the early Christians were trying to accomplish in sure. letting go of authoritarian structure? And therefore, is that what people leaving the church are also trying to find? Mm. And I'm not sure. Like, I'm, I, think the, I think relating deconstruction to decentralization and like questioning your own faith is really interesting. And I, do, I haven't really heard anyone talk about it. And I think that's why I'm just like reeling with questions about it, you know? So I guess yeah. decentralization usually speaks to like, there's no identifiable leader, right? Or like right. less of a leadership structure mm-hmm. for sure. Or the other, the other way that decentralization is usually talked about currently is in regards to Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is a decentralized currency. Oh, okay. As compared to like the banks being a centralized system. Sure. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm so tempted to say like, but we're all, we're all centered on Jesus, though. <laughs> <laughs> cringe. Okay, but wait, well, why is that cringe? I feel like that's. Sorry, I have strawberries in my mouth. I feel like that's accurate. Well, yeah, but I feel like we don't really mean that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we just like to throw that phrase out there because it's a good Sunday school answer. But do we really believe in it? Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, what does it actually mean to be centered on Jesus? Is it just that, like, we tell the story? Yeah. Or that we believe in aspects of it? Or, like, what does that mean practically? But to me, it almost does feel like, okay, we're we're decentralizing around, right, like, the Catholic Church. Like, we don't have a pope. Mm, we mm-hmm. don't need a pope. We have Jesus. I guess that's very Protestant of me. That is very Protestant. Are you sure you're not a Methodist, Stephen? Well, I'm not. No, I'm not (laughs) sure. (laughs) 
Right. Which I feel like is exactly what leads me to the question of like, are there forms of Christianity that are already inherently decentralized? Like whether it's like modern day or like original Christians. Yeah. It is weird because there does seem to be a tension of like when the non-denominational people are basically, I don't know, bragging about being decentralized in the form of like, yeah, we're we're not part of a denominational structure. We don't answer to a pope or a bishop or anything like that. Like it's almost a sense mm. of pride, but at the same time, yeah. it's it's easy to look at that and be like, sometimes those groups end up being like the most bonkers fringe versions of whatever religion you're talking about. Right. Right. And it, it seems like they almost have lost the plot. If even if we're using a cliche, like we're centered on Jesus, because in terms of deconstruction, I feel like the reasonings or at least the experiences of the people I know, even inside our Ravel community is we're all trying to do our best to really figure out what Jesus as a person was talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least that's like, those are the circles I'm in. It's like even the podcast I was listening to early on, like the liturgists, I think great example, early seasons was like the idea of decentralizing around the church authority was for the purpose of finding something maybe, I don't know, maybe more pure, maybe more true to what the gospels were talking about. Or even more consistent. Yeah, sure. Right. And it's like, let's let all the the things fall away that we've like built up over time around denominations or something like that. Honestly, that seems, or it, it, it feels like the project that Jesus is doing of calling like Pharisees and Sadducees to say like, you've dressed this whole thing in things that never needed to be here in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I guess in one way, Josh, I want to answer one of your questions to say like, I don't think deconstruction is doomed. I think deconstruction is like, is the religion. It's like it it is Ooh. what we've been doing for Ooh. thousands of years now is That's a hot take. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you would say it matches that framework because That's the tradition. Like the tradition of decentralizing from authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when it builds up too okay. big, you need someone who pisses people off enough to that, that some of them will crucify him. Mm. But his example is to say there's a different way to do this and enough people follow that. Right. And then, Mm. I don't know, things continue to grow from that standpoint. And I I guess in a way it is kind of inevitable that splintering keeps happening, but I don't think that spells doom for every group. Mm. What groups does it spell doom for? Mm. Well, I mean, the Pharisees don't have a great reputation anymore. Just considering that they're used almost as like the butt of all the jokes. Or the parables, right? Mm-hmm. I get that. So, Stephen, you would argue that deconstruction people are often trying to like call back to those forms of decentralizing from power religious structures. It does that. It, it yeah, it feels that way to me. I think it feels that way to me, but I I don't know if everyone would agree that that's their experience. Like, I I do think that a lot of people would agree that a lot of their cognitive dissonance is probably rooted in the fact that what Jesus preached is not exemplified by a majority of the church. And it's like that disconnect that, like, puts them off so much. Mm. Sure. So what if, let's just say for giggles, that 
deconstruction is basically a phase like it's gonna it's a fad it's gonna fade over time what would come next or like are we going to experience deconstruction like the 80s you know like oh things from the 70s and 80s are now coming back and it's popular again like are we going to see this pattern of Mm. forms of deconstruction fading away and then coming back as a fad you know and being retro and vintage or or what that's that's an interesting question i've i've kind of personally been wondering right so i think in the last couple years the like the 500 year anniversary of the protestant reformation was celebrated hey yo mm-hmm. like 500 years what are we still protesting <laughs> <laughs> right right like are the issue are the 95 theses issues not addressed at this point like it seems to me that even that modern day catholics have looked at the 95 theses and some of them have been like i mean he had a point then things have evolved even within the catholic church but yeah i don't know what we're protesting anymore yeah it's 505 <laughs> years <laughs> like that sounds so tongue-in-cheek but like 500 years of protesting what that's funny but like i do think it's interesting in the way you framed the question emily of like okay well 80s fads are coming back like whether that be fashion or music or whatever i do think it's interesting that a lot of i guess i'll just speak to people our age i mean josh is going to an episcopal church kind of regularly and i'm flirting with methodism like almost like the return to more mainline or more liturgical practices I think has been something I've been mm. hearing a lot about lately and it's yeah. it's a lot more skepticism about the new edgy uh mega church giga church you know franchise campuses and rock shows for worship I think what's really interesting about people using the term trend to like invalidate something is that like that like calling something a trend doesn't invalidate it either like right like when something's trending on twitter you can't just be like well it's a trend it like doesn't exist like no it means people are talking about right. it like yeah. that's what a trend means or like like when marketers are like trying to figure out like what's trendy or what's going to be the next trend like sure maybe some of that is like curated and created and like people can influence that but like even then like when it happens it's indicative that like it's happening to a lot of people like just because Mm-hmm. Um, like high rise jeans are coming back, quote unquote. It doesn't invalidate it that like a lot of people are liking high rise jeans. It means a lot of people are liking them. Right. And I think that the question of like theological trends is interesting because I think that it gets like whether we're talking about like deconstruction and leaving the church or just like schools of thought becoming more popular and well known, like uh, reformed theology in the US in the last 20 years, recognizing it as a trend doesn't like pull the rug out from under you it just means it's widely accepted Mm. so really (laughs) so really like we should point to things that are widely accepted as a trend not fringe up-and-coming things i'm not sure how to say that i don't know i think sometimes trend feels like it's still like it's a trend while it's still riding the upward trajectory or like riding the wave up and then I don't know. I guess the the same word almost gets used to be like, oh, that was on the on the, the downward. downward. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's just a trajectory. Sure. Right. Steven, I think I agree with you. Uh, oh, thanks. Along 
along the lines of like uh, Protestantism. Like, I do think it's very Protestanty for a group of people to like, like pick apart the beliefs and be like, "What are we doing here?" Like, down with that idea. That idea sucks. Like, that is very Protestanty. Right. That's exactly but, like, why we and, have all the denominations that we do. Right. But I feel like the biggest distinction for me is like it's markedly different when on a massive scale people are individually choosing to like leave institutions without starting another one. Mm-hmm. And like that's the part of it that feels like actually decentralized for me. Isn't that interesting? I think that it feels Yeah, it's very interesting. Like religion is the only institution or entity that people will leave and start new things of, but other things they don't. Like, if a bunch of people left Hulu or Netflix or whatever, like, they don't start on their own a new form of streaming or anything like that. But, like, religion, for some reason, Mm. we're seeing that, where, like, even the Methodist church is getting ready to split, you know? And we're going to have an entirely new denomination, like... Mm. You don't see that happening with other entities. That's so weird. At least not as often. Yeah. Because I, I mean, yeah. like, America is America because they deconstructed British government. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. But that doesn't happen. Like, political revolutions don't happen. Does all not that happen. Often. Yeah. Sure. Now, I do kind of want to interrogate that even the deconstruction thing was decentralized. Because I think I might be able to argue that there were at least some figureheads that were kind of like, I don't know, paving the way or at least providing the space in a way that almost felt like they were kind of leadership of something, Mm. whether they wanted to be or not. Liturgists, I think, was a fantastic example. Totally. Rachel Held Evans. The deconstructionists. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Right. So there are certainly, I don't know, it, it it does feel parallel in some ways that you know we'll all follow the liturgists over here in the same way that some people just followed martin luther with the 95 theses 95 theses was the original liturgist podcast is what i'm saying that's funny that is funny funny. i hear what you're saying but i think it's different when you listen to someone Mm, oh man i mean this gets like into the philosophy of like (laughs) following people but like i think it's different than uh, it, it's different to like listen to someone and you yourself consider their opinion and like oh. choose what part of your opinion you agree with versus like you following a person building an institution and you yourself are a part of building that institution. Like versus like in an economy of following people. You know, mm. so what's really funny about that is like a lot of people will and I was this way for the longest time, will like self-identify as a Jesus follower versus a Christian. And they'll use like this following language. Sure. And try to like get away from like religious language. Right. Which I think is really interesting, like in this economy of literally following people online. Yeah. That, Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel like an accident, right? That we call them like Twitter followers. Yeah. Like we're asking people to follow us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then it right. got meta. <laughs> Oops. But like, but like also, so I, I also think that it feels experientially different because like as much as like we try to be aware of what we're doing and what we're not doing with this podcast, like it still feels very different to me creating an online 
space of dialogue, like whether it's people listening to us or creating their own dialogue because of it, in a way that like still feels decentralized in some ways. Like it's not like we're not trying to start the new church. We're not starting a church. We do have a private Discord community for people who tithe to us, but that's not that's not what we're doing. <laughs> right. And I feel like I to me, I would argue the prevalence of different forms of media talking about these ideas as people are leaving the church and rethinking their theology, I see this as uh I was going to say the first phase, but I guess the first phase would be like acknowledging to yourself that like you have questions and are rethinking things i would see this as like maybe the first form of expression oh on the large scale but like expression does not usually indicate end product like i think what we're noticing is i feel like maybe that is the truth in recognizing it's a trend like people are talking about it but like that does not dictate what happens after the trend sure or like what the trend forms it doesn't necessarily mean that as soon as the thing is not called a trend by society at large, that is not still very prevalent to the individual people who were thinking about it. Right. So like I think about quite often on Twitter, people are like, man, remember when people were freaking out about this and it was like two weeks ago and no <laughs> one's talking about it anymore. I mean like, yeah. Remember when we were talking about Joe Rogan and how none of us are talking about Joe Rogan anymore? Like, mm, mm-hmm. I still haven't stopped thinking about it. Mm. So, like, I rode the trend mm. up, but I never came down. I'm still thinking about sure. Spotify and the way podcasting works on that app. Like, it's not necessarily a trend to me. It captured me enough to, like, keep me thinking in that space. Um, yeah, that's, ah, that's very weird. Mm. Do you think Jesus is still trending? Uh... Like, do you... <laughs> Do you still think we're on the upward trajectory of Jesus talk? Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to say yes. Do you think there will be a downward trajectory in the future? Yes. That's a, that's a curious answer. And mostly because I'm, I'm putting a lot of baggage on what I think a pastor means. So like you're a pastor <laughs> saying <laughs> that Jesus... <laughs> will eventually lose steam in some way in the way we talk about him or the ideas that have been wrapped around him? Yes, but again, I think when we think of... Look at me and my... How things are defined, Spiel. Um, I, when we think of a downward trend, I think we often think that that's always negative. But sometimes you want a downward trend. Like, for example... Uh-oh cardiovascular health if your numbers go up you actually want your numbers to go down depending on what you're discussing so there are trends that just because they are going down does not mean that it's a negative and so i think Mm. there have been ebbs and flows in regards to conversations around jesus god the divine and i think we will have another downward trend but i don't think it's going to necessarily be a negative i think it's going to be just different and you know Mm. however long or whenever that happens i don't know but that's not to say that it's gonna stay down it you know might trend back up or you know even just the language around it i'm sounding like positive or negative but i don't think that's entirely the case yeah um yeah that's it's really easy to ascribe because even if you say okay 
people are talking about Jesus less or like polls show that there are less Christians in America than there were 20 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you say, okay, that's a good thing. Then it's almost like it's giving a value to like, oh, it was a bad thing when it was growing and there were more people who are identifying as Christian or the other way around. Right. Of like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's bad that less people identify as Christian now than they used to in the past. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about this because I, for as much as we talked about it in the episode about privilege, I, I've still been thinking about the intersection of where I find myself through Christianity and my American citizenship, really. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mostly because Christians and Americans are not used to being not first place where we are, especially when we overlap, right? Like, you talk mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the American economy, even on the global stage of like, or the military, we're used to being the number one superpower in the world. And I think that there's an inevitable moment in the future that we are not the best military in the world, or we're not the best economy, or that Christianity is not the majority religion in the country or in the world. Mm-hmm. And we're just not used to that. And I feel like sometimes that starts to feel extremely threatening. Uh and I think, Emily, I think you're speaking to a way that we could like approach those moments as not bad, but different, mm-hmm. but it's hard not to view them through the power, like a, like a centralized power structure really of like, oh no, I'm used to being on top and I don't like, yeah, I don't like falling in rank. I think that's a really good point, especially because like the majority of Christian denominations are on a downward trend right now. And like the rise of the nuns is happening. But like, Stephen, to your point, and like, this is where statistics get complicated. Like, in my life personally, the amount of Jesus talk has not gone down. But statistically, I would be considered a nun. I am not affiliated with a denomination. Same. And totally. I think, Emily, you're absolutely right that it's really hard to get away from like the positivity and the negativity of trend language, um, either direction. Like, because obviously people are trying to stigmatize mm-hmm. people leaving the church and like being a part of that nun category. But I, I think it's like in, I think it's just like a defense mechanism, honestly. Like people are seeing that churches are, for better or for worse, on the downward trend. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what comes next. Yeah. Like I see all of the conversation, like I see the podcasts and the books and the, the documentaries that are starting to be made about people feeling discontent with the centralization of authority. And I think that that is, it's not the only problem, but I think it's like a, like a main like summary of the problems. And I think that it'll be really interesting to see like what form of faith comes out of this. Because like one of the things that I've been thinking about in regards to this is like how technology is aiding us in finding each other as we ourselves, not everyone, I should say, like, cause obviously Emily, you are pastoring a church right now, but as a lot of people find themselves decentralizing from the church or away from having a specific systematic theology, like never before in a phase of Christianity, have we been this able to connect with each other with other people who are also doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very unique environment. It is quite the shift from like macro to micro community. Mm. Like the sense of scale, like I'm still thinking about the Catholic church 
throughout this whole conversation of like, I mean, the Catholic church has been the Catholic church for since the beginning, right? <laughs> since Peter, ostensibly. Right, right. And that feels like a big deal. Like I, I, I'm really attracted to the idea of all that tradition going on. But at the same time, my actions betray that I would rather do community over a technologically based discord community with 14 people in it than mm. go to mass. Mm-hmm. Mm. And like there, there have been some absolutely wild connections that have happened through our delightful group of community members in our discord. Mm-hmm. Mm. Some just insane connections that are starting to happen. And to me, it's like, sure. I may have gotten this by going to, a Catholic church, but in the same way, sometimes it can feel like it's, it's like the branded church of, I go there to intentionally be lost as a face in the crowd rather than mm. the micro community requires us, you know, the micro, the decentralized, it requires us to be like very much ourselves with an extraordinary amount of detail that sometimes it's like, wow, I'm sharing this with people who I've never met in person and yet I, I feel mm. comfortable to be vulnerable with them you know mm-hmm. mm. we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel seriously there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology if you want to support what we're doing the best way to help is to tell a friend about us We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. Here's a word from one of our sister shows, Keller's Couch. <laughs> I had this discussion with someone. If you're to take like a human's whatever cell, yeah. grow it, and you were to eat it, <laughs> make you a cannibal. <laughs> and I was like, huh, never really thought of that before. <laughs> Aren't there d- d- diseases you can get from eating people? The brain. Yeah. Okay. I think if it's just like some some of that fine, delicious thigh meat, yeah, it wouldn't make a difference. Nothing like a good calf, you know. You know, there'd be a whole market for like famous actors who could sell donor cells, and you could like Ooh. eat George Clooney. Yeah. Oh my God. You'd have a party. That is a horrifying <laughs> concept, <laughs> and I kind of love it. <laughs> Uh, so here at Ravel, uh, it's pretty well known at this point that Stephen and I are a little coffee snobbish at least. Like, Stephen, how many brew methods do you own at home? Oh, golly. I think it's probably four or five. Uh, French press, aeropress, 
pour over. I have like this nifty camping pour over rig. Um, I do use a Keurig when times are tight. That's fine. Um, but right now they're not because I am drinking some delicious Highline blend coffee. Delicious. I need to get in on this action. I go to coffee shops all the time. I would love to be able to make coffee at home. So Revel Coffee, huh? They're Montana local, right? International award-winning roaster? Revel, nice. Absolutely they are. And they will ship a fresh roasted bag directly to your door when you order through the Highline shop at highline.network shop. This episode is brought to you by Fife Created, a woman-owned and operated small business creating beautiful handmade clay jewelry lovingly crafted in Montana. They're a small business run by normal people like us, so every single set is crafted with care and love, with an eye for colors that you wouldn't find in chain superstores. If you're like me, you want your jewelry to match your outfit perfectly, whether it's for a casual event, out with family or friends, or if you have a fancy get-together. I know for me, I want to look perfect. Whether it's quality, color, design, the perfect jewelry complements any outfit, and this is the jewelry for you. Check out the latest small batch launch for spring of 2022, currently on a limited run based on seasonal themes. Or join the Stud Club subscription service for exclusive monthly designs shipped free to build your day-to-day collections. Use our code RAVEL2022 at fifecreated.com for 20% off at checkout. That's F-Y-F-E created.com with our code RAVEL2022 for 20% off. And transform your normal day into an extraordinary one with jewelry that lets you feel bold, uplifted, and empowered. One of the things that has kind of been stirring inside of me as a pastor, you know, seeing youth and young people and even older people for that matter who kind of quote unquote walk away, you know, from the church, the the nons, you know, and I am um, a part of me asks the question, what does it take to ensure that my church doesn't become a fad? Wow. Mm. You know? That's a huge question. How do I keep I guess using the language I don't like to use, how do I keep a positive trend? Like, how do I keep the momentum going and ensuring that people are getting something new and vibrant and wholesome Mm. and true and to keep that going, you know, because the unique thing about Methodism is, you know, our appointment system. And so there have been churches that have been thriving for years and then they get a pastor that's just not a right fit. and they can be a dying church within a matter of years. And it is almost like a fad. Like it's a trend that just very quickly spiraled and is no longer mm. popular or valid. And like, how do you ensure that that doesn't happen? And I guess the question expands to more than just my congregation. Like how do we as a people, like take us for example, like how do we ensure that Ravel is not going to die? like how long can we keep this going and how long can we have it be a sustaining thriving community and entity for people to be invited to and to share this space of theological dialogue and roundtable conversation 
because some trends, sure, they last a long time and others not so much. And, you know, you just wonder Mm. how long. And that's a sad Mm. question to bring up, but it's a very valid one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right. I think something of what you're speaking to is like the personality driven trends. I think I see this a lot in the churches I used. Well, the last church I attended is very personality driven by the more or less celebrity pastor Mm. who has a name brand, who has books, who has his own podcast with his wife. And it's like, okay, you're making something for your name and giving him the benefit of the doubt is like, sure, you're doing all this right. As they would say, like to the glory of God, but also it does feel really good to be the center of attention every Mm. week, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a really good thing to interrogate and honestly, I didn't know that was that all that unique to Methodism, Emily. And I actually really admire that the appointment system is, I mean, it's laborious, right? You've gone through nine years to be ordained yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's really a process of like identifying the people who can do the work and also the people who know when it's time to get out of their own way for the work to be done. Right, right. Like learning when your time is done and to make room for another. Yeah. And that, I think that is tremendously important. And I think that that's hard to come to terms with, too. Like, I think that a lot of people Mm. experience the idea of religious institution as if nothing should ever change. And I think that that's why change (laughs) in any form like seems really scary to a lot of church people. Yeah. Like whether it's reforming something or whether it's um, like, oh, this particular form is just rotten to the core. Like maybe there's no redeeming it. Like, like I think there's a lot of people that like won't even entertain those ideas versus like, like when I think when you allow yourself to entertain those questions, like that's when like good revelation happens. Like maybe it's, questioning like oh does this need to die mm. for you to realize oh it doesn't need to completely die like we just need to get rid of these things like like kind of going back to our last episode about like fruit of the spirit like sometimes you need to ask yourself like oh do we just need to kill the tree and like it's that investigative framework that allows you to like holistically look at the whole thing for you to realize like oh no it's just like this one set of branches like if we got rid of that mm. sure like this tree would really flourish I just started thinking of a passage um, from John and, you know, I I read it and I was thinking one thing and then totally just had like a brain fart, basically. Like (laughs) the passage, um, it's the in the 21st chapter of John and it's towards the very end of the section where Jesus tells his disciples after they share breakfast on the shore, you know, he says when you were younger you put your belt on yourself and you went wherever you wanted. Um, but as you get older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will pull a belt on for you and basically pull you around to where you want to go and need to go. And it may be sometimes places where you wish not to go. And then the very last thing he says is follow me. Like that's change mm. to the core. Like we're going to have moments in our faith and as a community where we're used to putting our belt on and we're used to things being the way we want but a time's going to come where we're going to have to change we're going to have to stretch out our hands 
and allow people or things to guide us in directions that we may not entirely want to go, but may be necessary. And the last two words follow me like that. That just struck a chord Hmm. for me. Hmm. And I think that speaks to change being scary for sure. It's not always going to be pleasant, but that doesn't mean it can't be. That's that's one thing I hate about (laughs) conversations where if we're deconstructing or talking about deconstructing people think that it's gross or like they talk bad about it and it's like why can't why can't it be pleasant you know i get that the moments that lead to deconstruction probably were not pleasant like spiritual Mm. crisis of course is not pleasant i'm not saying that but i think the act itself of deconstructing and taking apart and putting something new together like why can't that be pleasant why do we have to talk about it like it's this Mm. awful process Mm. Like it should be enjoyable. That's the thing is like if something happened that was so negative or so awful that it's forcing you to change and you're looking at it from a new perspective, why shouldn't it? Like, why can't it be pleasant? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, why can't you be the dictator of how you then see it? Like you should be able to change the trajectory to where it is a positive and pleasant experience. Right. That should be the point of it. You heard it here first, Matt Chandler. (laughs) Deconstruction is sexy, so f*** off. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, I I heard someone recently describe deconstruction as just scoffing at the church. And I like, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to respond to that in the moment. Like, I didn't feel Uh. like there was any arguing with it. But in my, in like, in my gut, I was like, that's just not true. Like, that's That's not, not true. Like, like maybe there are some people who are scoffing at specific circumstances and saying, like, that shouldn't have happened. Right. But, like, those are often, like, very poignant circumstances, like abuse mm-hmm. or, like, really bad theology that, like, caused them to spiral. Yeah. Like, it's that that they're scoffing at, if they're scoffing at all. Well, and honestly, shouldn't the church that's being scoffed at take that seriously and be like, yeah, okay, 100%. what are they critiquing? What did we do wrong? How can we take that seriously <laughs> yes. and not just scoff yes. back? That's playing the game yeah. of like yes. the devil or whatever. Oh. That's just like returning <laughs> returning the eye for an eye. And it's like, yeah. yeah, okay, I'm just gonna scoff back at deconstruction if they're just gonna make fun of my stuff. But it's like mm-hmm. I don't know. Like and maybe it is a posture thing. Like I'm man, I'm still thinking of like Martin Luther of like he wasn't scoffing at the church. He had legitimate concerns and he legitimately wanted to reform from the inside out. Right. But ended up doing something Mm. else. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a real, Oh, that, okay. So this is a really good point is what we're seeing right now. A reversal of that where people are wanting to reform from the outside in. Oh, like we are stepping, like people are stepping outside to have a third eye perspective, third, whatever, third, third party point of view and trying to, not necessarily build back better, <laughs> nice. but like seeing what would happen if we took an outside perspective to mm. look inward. Mm. Because like that feels resonant to me. That, yeah. Well, and also sometimes the only time it's safe to do the critique is when once you know you're safe from the boundaries. Once of, you're safe. Yeah. Oh, I, I think that it's really, it's a common mistake that I see around this issue where people will critique people who are using deconstruction language, people who are leaving the church, right? Uh, people who feel like their faith is falling apart. I think it's really easy for church people to still like to cri- criticize them because they don't have an alternative. 
They don't have an mm. answer to present. They don't have a reformation to present. Sure. And I think that that's an empty argument. <laughs> like that comes from a very Protestant view of like, okay, well, if you think you can do better, start your own church. Where's your 95 <laughs> theses? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, mm. it's, it's, I think like where that argument falls flat is like, I think a lot of people are like recognizing like that we've tried that for 500 years and it hasn't worked. Right. <laughs> so like, like mm. if protesting in this way isn't working, like we need to question it. <laughs> and also that it keeps happening to the splinter groups that started from the original Reformation of like, right. Oh, you're saying that the problem is actually just inherent in like humanity gaining power. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, so the problems we had with the Catholic church suspiciously seem to start showing up in evangelical churches or mm. Lutheran church, you know, of like, right, man, the problem seems, seems to keep following us. Maybe it's a problem with the way we're huh. addressing it. Right. Weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like, what is it actually going to take for us to recognize, you know? Right. Ooh. But, uh, but Ooh. do you think, but do you think the way is to go back and to heal the Catholic Protestant divide eventually i mean like i it, mm. it sounds very romantic to say eventually the church gets back to a unified body of like we are mm. christians because mm. like this might just be a symptom of my undereducation, but like i'm not aware of too many splinter sects of like islam or buddhism there are some we're just like not as aware of them but not as not I don't as, think many. There's as many so like sure that happens and I, I, some of the the uh the differences are pretty glaring when it comes to certain groups but i mean with the thousands of denominations now that you could possibly claim when you also file your paperwork with the government to be like tax exempt or whatever mhm i mean like should the vision be that we just get back to being unified or does that also feel threatening to the people who are also like threatened by the globalists or whatever Mm. like one church government is one world government and should be mistrusted also <laughs> yeah mm. yeah i think a lot of people uh, some certain <laughs> groups of american christians would point to that and be like no that's the antichrist that's trying to unify us <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah right so I, is that what we want though i, I don't know mm, i don't think many people want that like on the large scale i don't think most people want that or splinter enough to just yeah. not be identifiable by anything Ooh. That feels like the alternative. It, that's very black and white alternative, but that is very black and white. Yeah. So, yeah. I, okay, going along the same lines, I've had this question written down for a while, and I wasn't really sure like where it fit into some of my other questions and whether or not it deserved its own episode. But I feel like it fits here nicely. I almost feel like people use the terms non-affiliated and non-denominational backwards. Oh, like I almost feel like a non-denominational church that like isn't aligned with a particular denomination. I almost feel like that should be called non-affiliated and that it's people who are non-denominational. Like I feel very non-denominational right now myself. And maybe I'm just like getting caught up in the semantics of it. But like, I feel like there is like going back to the trend thing. I feel like there's definitely a rise in people that are like still thinking about this stuff and like are continuing to have conversations about it and writing books about it. Um, but they themselves do not feel affiliated 
under mm. a denomination. Hmm. And it almost makes me wonder if, like, because there's so many people that are rejecting the idea of, well, we need to start something new, like uh, whether it's a new church or a new type of church or like a new form. I almost wonder if what we're approaching is a type of cultural Christianity. Like, it probably won't be the same as Jewish people, but where there's like, there's like a cultural ethnic identity and also a religious identity. I don't think it's going to be quite the same, but like, that's the closest equivalent I can think of. Like, almost in the way that like, like Jews have this tradition of revering Midrash and like different rabbis' thoughts on issues and perspectives and different interpretations. Yeah. Like right. I almost wondering if like we're heading towards like a mass scale complexity around Christianity. Mm. It remains to be seen, but like I I almost like get the sense that we're like heading that direction on the mass scale. Mm. Like people recognizing, oh, there's different thoughts about this. There's different denominations like I might exist among them or between them and I myself more or less will be a floating agent <laughs> in the waters of Christianity. Yeah, right. But maybe I'm only saying that because like that feels true for me right now. I don't know. Yeah, I've been curious about that for a while. The cultural Christianity. But wow. honestly, even that, it feels like it doesn't feel as monolithic as it does is when you talk about like cultural Judaism. Mm, sure. In the sense of like, goodness gracious, if American, if, if the wacky like American evangelicalism of our time is what becomes known as cultural Christianity, then like that I'm out, you know, like me too. That, that's not me. So I don't know where I belong, even if that ends up being the definition of that thing. And again, that, that might come down to just like, I'm undereducated about what that looks like in other religious communities. Yeah. But the more Christianity gets co-opted and branded by that with scare quotes <laughs> i don't want to be a part of that either so i don't i still don't know where i land at that point i really get where the stigma comes from because it does seem trendy right now that there is a massive group of people that are like like defining what they're not a part of yeah and so i, I really get the tendency of people wanting to dismiss that because on face value, I think it sounds really negative. But Emily, I think you're absolutely right. They're like, it doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have to have an answer for what's next for those, those feelings and those experiences to be we, valid. We want one, but I don't think we need one. Do you think we'll get there? Like, do you think there will be something that's next? Ooh, maybe not in our lifetime, but I don't know. I really don't know, actually. Mm. Maybe. I mean, any. Anything's possible. (laughs) And if so, like, what does that look like? You know? Right. Do you think that when Luther first started to speak against things happening in the Catholic Church, do you think that people, like, said that he was doomed to fail or, like, it was just a phase or, like, something like that? And then when, like, it finally formed into a denomination... People were like, see, it was doomed to fail. It did fail. It didn't keep going. But like in reality, it just changed and like morphed into something. Oh, yeah. Like, so I feel like like in the modern day, if all of this talk about deconstruction and rethinking your faith and like going through faith crisis and raveling and 
like all of it, like if all of the conversation finally turns into something, I don't think that means it was doomed to fail. I think it just means it morphed into something. Right. But I guess the question I'm left with is like, with a movement <laughs> that like fundamentally is not really a movement because it's not centralized around an entity. Like it feels fundamentally decentralized. Like, could it ever turn into something? I think that that's the question that I'm left with is how could you turn into something and remain decentralized as a tenant? Mm. And I don't know. I wonder if it could be looked at in the same terms of, you know, the biblical metaphors of like metals being purified in fire mm-hmm. and of like, mm. I don't know. Cause I, I think in some ways this process represents to both the people who are identifying as exvangelical or ravelers or anything like that. Like it does feel like a time where quite a few extraneous theologies or thoughts or traditions or practices are kind of like burned away as we're all kind of thinking about like what, what actually matters to us here, you know? Mm. And in the same way to the churches that are being left, it does. I, I wonder if it can be interpreted even from that side of like, okay, the church is being purified in a way. And that, I don't, that framing both directions I have a problem with, I think. I don't know if I can exactly put my finger on it, but hmm. you know, I, I just I just wonder if this is the process that Jesus talks about when he talks about repentance or metanoia in the Greek. Of like we're all just relearning how to think or learning how to think differently. And maybe this just happens all the time. That's kind of why I still feel pretty comfortable in the fact that like I don't think deconstruction is doomed because I think deconstruction is just the latest word for yeah, possibly metanoia or repentance or, you know, whatever that looks like. It's it's the new word for reformation, maybe. Um, I I find myself in a much more beautiful place in my life, having gone through what I assume to be a fraction of the process. <laughs> like I don't feel like it's ended, and I don't think it like I I don't think it will yeah. ever end. Like we were talking about that in the Discord a while ago, as Courtney pointed out. Like yeah, if if you're not some artists talk about like if you're not embarrassed by the stuff you made two years ago, then you're not growing as an artist, you know? Ooh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if you're not embarrassed by the things you believe two years ago as a Christian, you're not a very good Christian because you're not like mm-hmm. constantly going through the process of metanoia, right? Of like changing your thought habits and learning how to think mm-hmm. differently. There's a lot to think about, you know? Yeah. I almost feel like I have more questions now than I did before. Yeah, yeah. I I maybe made a, that's the point. Like maybe maybe yeah. sometimes when we ravel, we find that there's more to question. Well, and to me, I think that's become a marker of someone who like takes what they believe seriously. Uh, like not that it's a superior thing, but like almost more deeply than people who don't question what they believe. I made a I made the mistake of downloading Facebook recently, and. Uh, no, uh, Josh. Uh, <laughs> and I've been like itching to make a post about like faith and deconstruction and raveling and the podcast. And <laughs> so I finally did it like right before recording. Um, I know Emily already saw it. And like one of the one of the phrases I wrote in there was like, I feel like I'm learning more all the time and knowing the answers even less of the time. Mm, I like that. 
I think that's been like very true for me over the last couple of years where like, I keep thinking about this stuff. I keep wanting to think about this stuff. And like more and more, I like, like feel the wonder of it all. And like, I don't feel like I have the answers to point to or the, the end product that I think we should create or reconstruct, or I don't feel like I have the answers for like what would make everything better. And I also don't think I should. Like, I think that I like that artist example. Like, I should always be learning. Like, there's always more to learn. We should never expect to uh, have a perfect theology. Yeah. Because if we did, we would be God. So. Yeah. Well, thanks for the discussion, you guys. I I found this very thought-provoking. I liked the discussion around trend language. And I think the idea of theological trends is very interesting. Not that we talked about it. Mm. I would say the rapture was a theological trend. Uh, Yep. I would agree. And I'm glad it's on its way up. <laughs> it's on the downward trajectory, at least. There you go. Emily, I really appreciated your thoughts, too, as someone who like is actively trying to pastor a community. Because I think that there is value in trying to change things from the inside out as well. Yeah, I think maybe that's like my closing is like change has to come from within and from the outside it's it's hard to promote change from the inside when people from the outside don't see what's happening and it's also hard for people on the outside to promote change when the people on the inside are not willing to go along with it and huh it's it's a very complicated and messy ordeal and i think it's it speaks volumes for churches and those who are deeply involved in the church to remember that they were once those on the outside, (laughs) you know, Mm. like we all started from the same place and some of us ended up where we are and some of us ended up where we are on the other side. And, you know, we, we need to remember though, we all at some point came from the same point of not knowing and having a belief and whether that changed or didn't change is something entirely different. But yeah, as someone who is still deeply involved, I need to not ignore the voices on the outside and I need to be mindful of everyone when looking at what is healthy for a church and what is healthy for a community and how we can all be a part of that. You know, uh, going back to our last episode about calling out gifts. Emily, I think you do that. I think you do it very well. Like, I think that, like, the, the effort that you put in to uh, consider and listen to and be in conversation with people outside of the church, like, even if we're just going to use this podcast as an example, <laughs> mm. uh, I think you do it very well. Like, I feel very welcomed by you as someone who does not want to be regularly a part of church right now. Aww. So, thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. And I think, I think it would be to the church's credit to, have more pastors like you, because I think if the church has any hope of uh, sticking around, like if the church actually wants to attract <laughs> those of us who <laughs> think mm-hmm. like intention with the church, th- I think the church needs to be better at that, at engaging with people and loving people despite disagreements mm. and leaving room for those. Yeah. And I think you, Aww. I think you're a very good example of that. Well, thank you. Yeah. That was very nice. That touched my heart. <laughs> Good. Well, any uh, any closing thoughts? Any uh, any hot takes at the end? Uh, no, but I I think I have a pretty <laughs> d- 
darn good episode for next week that oh. I'm very excited Ooh. about. All right. All right. I kind of like when they just like flow together like that. Yeah, That's kind of fun. Yeah. I just made some I notes like while you guys were talking. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Aww. I got a few to talk Yay. about. So heck yeah. Yeah. Well, um, if you're a fan of Ravel, thank you for listening all the way to the end. It's nice to have you along. It's like kind of. It's like kind of mind-boggling. Episode 88. I was like just thinking about that this week. Yeah, yeah episode 88. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who's been leaving us some reviews. Um, we are trying to reach 200 reviews on Apple, 100 reviews on Spotify by the time we make it to episode 100. So thank you for helping us getting there. Shout out to all of you. Absolutely. We love you. I, I think I would like to end this episode. How does oh. that sound? Oh. <gasps> I am more than happy to share. So yes, Josh. Because oh, ultimately you. we are a decentralized organization. So <laughs> we are, yes. <laughs> I would like to think so. Actually, I do we didn't really talk about that, but I like the fact that like we own this podcast. Like literally. Yeah. Like yeah. We it's not like we're getting rich off of it or anything, but like Totally. We are yeah. We are the holy threesome that own this podcast. Mm, and it that's a weird way to say <laughs> it. It works. <laughs> That's all the Trinity is. Um, so I, w I was shared with this poem last night. Um, me, <laughs> me and David, uh, me and David, but well, me and my buddy Tyler, shout out to Tyler. We were chatting about all of this stuff and he shared this poem by David White. I've never heard of this before, but um, David White wrote this poem for his daughter who walked the Camino de Santiago, which I believe is in Spain. It is correct. Question mark. Um, and it was written like loosely based off of her leaving her boots at the edge of the water when she finished. The road in the end, taking the path the sun had taken into the western sea, and the moon rising behind you as you stood where ground turned to ocean. No way to your future now, but the way your shadow could take. Walking before you across water, going where shadows go. No way to make sense of a world that wouldn't let you pass, except to call an end to the way you had come. To take out each frayed letter you had brought and light their illumined corners, and to read them as they drifted on the western light. To empty your bags, to sort this and to leave that. To promise what you needed to promise all along, and to abandon the shoes that had brought you here right at the water's edge. Not because you had given up, but because now you would find a different way to tread. And because through it all, part of you would still walk on, no matter how, over the waves. Hey gang, Keller Paulson here. I know what you're thinking. What's going on? Who is this guy? Am I right? Well, I'm the host of Keller's Couch. Now, Keller's Couch is an interview podcast where I, Keller Paulson, interview people I find interesting that are doing cool things in the community. But it's not just that. 
My friends at Slapstick Improv and myself, we also do some improv comedy and sketch comedy every other episode. So, if this tickles your fancy, why don't you scoot on down and pop a squat on Keller's couch. Bye. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.